see. If you could turn, if you've got a Bible, turn it open to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, right at the beginning of the New Testament. And do you know what? There are 47 names in Matthew chapter 1. So all the best with that, Tim and Marion, who are reading for us later. Oh, I should take this off, shouldn't I? 47 names in Matthew chapter 1. And um, so I've got 47 different points this morning. I hope that's okay. Here they all are. If I grab you, Steve. Let's see. Steve and Dan, if you could just walk these back. Thanks. These are all my points. We're going to go over the uh, easel there. Let's keep going. Keep going. Here they all are. Just telling you in advance so that you know what to expect. Keep going, guys. Keep going. Brilliant. 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 Fantastic. Yep. 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 Keep going. Keep going. I hope you're sitting comfortably. There we go. Okay, stop there. Stop there. All right, we'll just lay it down as best you can. Brilliant. 47 names. Should we start at the top? Right, what is that? Let's see. Abraham. Can you see me all right? Abraham. We're going to start with Abraham. Abraham was originally called Abram, and he lived in the land called Ur. He was married to Sarah. Um, what else should we tell you about Abraham? Ur was in Mesopotamia. Isn't that interesting? I'm so glad we've got 46 of these names to go. What a great sermon it's going to be this morning. Thanks, guys. You can put that down. No, not really. Don't worry. We're not going to do that. Um, and that's because Matthew chapter 1, which we're going to read very shortly, is more than just a list of names. This list, or genealogy, is in fact more than uh, the unnecessary recording of bare facts. In fact, what that list is, what it represents, is a drama. A drama telling the story of God's faithfulness through the complicated and checkered history of Israel. And it's the story of how God directed a chain of events through the lives of all these people and how that's only really the, the prelude to the final and climactic act in the person of Jesus Christ. So as we read this passage, please have that in mind. Like any drama, it's meant to move us and shape us in some way. Matthew 1 verses 1 to 17 is not background information. It's the retelling of God's plan and activity through real people and real families, in real times and in real places. And hopefully, as we'll see shortly, it carries a real message, has real implications and real hope for each one of us. So Tim and Marion are going to um, bravely read this passage for us this morning. Thank you both. Do come up to the mic. Here we go. 
would get me out if it weren't screwed on. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah was the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Matthan. Matthan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much indeed, Tim and Marion. 
Well, as we've just heard, a great number of characters pop up through that drama, each one taking the story forward, but instead of focusing on each individual. The plan this morning is to zoom out and look at how the larger plot unfolds, a bit like a play in four movements or four acts. I know Shakespeare uses a five-act structure, but I'm not Shakespeare, so we'll be okay. Now, each one of these four acts focuses on a significant moment in salvation history. So we're going to start with the first act, Act Chapter 1, and it's this. I'll get it on the screen for those here as well. Abraham. Abraham. A covenant of grace is established. Now, Abraham is a highly significant figure in salvation history. Way back in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, God revealed himself to Abraham and he made some huge promises to him. God promised to make Abraham into a great nation, an enormous community of people who live and worship in a special place. Abraham's name would be great, and the Lord would bless him. But not just Abraham. Through Abraham, God would bring his blessing to others down the line too. The Lord said this to him. He said, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Abraham would have millions of descendants, like stars in the sky, and the Lord would be God to all of them. In other words, God established a covenant, a binding promise, a binding solemn agreement in which he promised to bless and give himself to a chosen people. It was a covenant established by God not dreamed up by people, given for no reason except God's good pleasure. In response, Abraham and the people had to live by faith. They were required to accept this believingly and obey God. And so when they did lay hold of this promise, when they did uh, live faithfully and they followed the gracious word of the Lord, they received the temporal and spiritual blessings that God promised um, to Abraham. For instance, as, as the song said, he said to the sons of Abraham that they'd be more than the grains of sand. And so his family grew, even underneath Pharaoh's rule. Those things were signs of God's goodness and his faithful promise keeping. Sadly, as time went on, the people weren't always faithful to God. And we see something of that even in this genealogy. If you've got it in front of you, have a look down. The mention of the twins in verse 3, Perez and Zerah, who were conceived in a very shameful way involving Judah and his daughter-in-law. Or like Jeroam in, in verse 8, who was an evil king. Or even David before him, David, who murdered Uriah and took his wife. Like Manasseh, another king, who set up pagan altars and 
uh, in the temple area and even sacrificed his own son um, to those idols. He practiced sorcery and all sorts of things and refused to listen to the Lord's prophets. It's a pretty grim family tree. Yet the line did not die out. It went on and on as we saw from generation to generation. Instead of starting afresh, the Lord kept the family growing, preserving them and blessing them in ways he promised and in the ways that the people simply did not deserve. The question is, why? Why did the Lord do that? Well, because God. Because as we sang, God always keeps his promises. Because the Lord is faithful to the covenant he established. Despite the unfaithfulness of the people, he never lies or goes back on his word. When God promises something, it always, he always goes through with it. Isn't that a good thing? That God always keeps his promises. That God doesn't forget things or change his mind like us. He is always faithful. That is who he is. And so that seed of promise given to Abraham right then at the beginning grew and grew through all the ups and downs of Israel's life. It kept going all the way down, all the way to this final name. Oh, it's even longer. All the way to this final name, to Jesus. I wonder if that puzzles you. Why does Jesus' name appear in this family tree, rife of sin and unfaithfulness and covenant breakers? One of our girls recently had to do a family, um, uh, sorry, a a project at school uh, illustrating her family tree, and she had to piece it together and ask all of our relatives um, how far she could find how far back our family tree went. And thankfully, there weren't any shocks for us. You know, some of the names um, didn't surprise us. But imagine she went back to her teacher the next day after completing her family tree project, and she said to her teacher, Miss, miss, guess what? I found out I'm related. I descend from Ivan the Terrible. Isn't that cool? I'm not so sure. Um, I don't think that's that cool. Yet Jesus' family tree does include people like that. And that is no accident. The covenant that God established with Abraham was always meant to come to, always meant to, come to fruition through this family tree and in this son of Abraham. Jesus is the faithful one who was sent into this very family in order to save and redeem them. To put it another way, the family Jesus came from also shows us who he came for. In fact, that's why he's called Jesus. Just glancing on to verse 21, the angel says to Joseph, you are to give him the name Jesus, which means the Lord saves because he will save his people from their sins. But you know, this promise isn't just given to those from among 
Abraham's biological descendants, the scope of this covenant is even more extensive because God also promised Abraham right back at the beginning in Genesis chapter 12 that the Lord would bring blessing through him and through his family to all peoples, to those beyond Israel. Indeed, that's what the Apostle Paul says as well in Galatians 3. He says that God promised those things to Abraham. Well, when he promised those things, he was announcing the gospel in advance. And so that's why it's called a covenant of grace. The covenant of grace is about God saving a people to himself through Jesus Christ and through Jesus' faithful work in life and in death a people that includes Abraham, who trusted in the promise, and includes you and me in Christ. Christ Jesus, Paul says, came into the world to save sinners. That's Act chapter 1, which, by the way, is um, the longest act. A covenant of grace is established. On to Act 2. David. We've, we've already mentioned how David wasn't the most pleasant of characters all the time. And yet, because the Lord is gracious, because of his covenant commitment to his people, some pretty astounding promises were made to David as well, the king of Israel. The Lord promised David, in 2 Samuel, a kingdom and a dynasty that would last forever. Now, that's quite a promise. Forever is a very, very long time, even by the British monarchy's standards. But there's a problem. Because when we read through that list of those kings in, in verses 6 to 11, when we saw them listed in that scroll, what we see is that the kingdom of Israel didn't go on and on. Under David and under Solomon especially, it was pretty spectacular. Yet according to the scriptures the monarchy only lasted for about 400 years. That's not really forever. Many of these kings disobeyed God's commands. They were covenant breakers, and so were the people under them. As a result, the kingdom was split in two, and the line of kings only lasted until the temple and the monarchy were destroyed by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, and the people were taken off into exile. And yet, that's not the end of the story. Because, as we sang, again, God always keeps his promises. Despite the destruction of the kingdom and a long period of exile, another son of David shows up at the end of this long list. And what's the title he's given? Messiah. It means anointed one. In the ancient world, Messiah was a name given to kings. It was quite common, actually. And yet here, in this list, of all these, amongst all these kings, it's a title reserved for only one in David's line. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the long-awaited, promised king, who alone is qualified to rule on the throne, promised to King David. He is the covenant king who came to deliver his people from the dominion of darkness and sin and death and to bring people into the kingdom 
of light. But not by the sword. Rather, Jesus, the Messiah, triumphs through the shedding of his own blood on behalf of his people. And by his descent to the realm of the dead. And by his victory over death as he rose from the grave. And his ascension into heaven where he sits on his throne. That's how he establishes his kingdom. And wonderfully, if you belong to Christ, that's where you belong to, in his kingdom. Because the covenant king is also our covenant king. Jesus is the head of our family tree. We are his people. We share in the reign of the one whose kingdom will never end. So act two, David. On to act three, exile. Today marks the third Sunday of Advent in the church's calendar. I'm sure you all know that. Um, despite the, and despite the bright lights and uh, the consumerism that engulfs us uh, most of the time, um, or that many associate with this time at least, Advent is meant to be a time and a season of darkness, of waiting. It does anticipate the light that is to come, the dawn of a new age, ushered in by the Lord Jesus Christ. But Advent is also realistic about our current experience of disorder, of disorientation, of destruction, of death even. In many ways, Advent mirrors the experience of God's people in exile, exile to Babylon. You see, the exile was a sign of God's judgment on Israel for their unfaithfulness to the Lord. It was a terrible tragedy, a kind of death. The temple, their means of fellowship, was destroyed and taken away, and they were taken away from that promised land. But like Advent, the exile also tells the story of hope and redemption, as the people anticipate the Lord's promised return and salvation. God has not forgotten his promises to his people. In fact, the time of exile provided another God-ordained occasion for God to display his unparalleled faithfulness to, and to minister to his people. And one of the ways that God did that was through prophets like this guy, like Ezekiel. If, so forgive me if you can't see it from the back. Ezekiel was sent to announce that the exile was a sign of an act of judgment of God on, on account of the people's covenant unfaithfulness. But Ezekiel also instruct, was instructed to reiterate the Lord's covenant promises to his people, which had not come to an end. So he prophesied about renewal and return and restoration and even resurrection. Just listen to this um, from the Lord through his prophet Ezekiel to his people in exile. He says, the people will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers. And I will put my sanctuary, my temple, my presence 
among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. It's a wonderful promise. And yet, when the people did eventually return from the land, as some of you may remember from our series in Haggai, well, it wasn't all as it seemed. It just wasn't the same. And so again, as we read through this list, we have to ask, did the Lord fail? And again, the answer is no. Because God always keeps his promises. Their return to the land was simply another sign, but not the complete fulfillment of the Lord's promise to dwell permanently, forever, with his people. And that would come with the arrival of Jesus Christ, who again is not just a son of Abraham, though he is, or just the son of David, though he is. He is also the son of God. Just over the page in Matthew 1, verse 23, we read this. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So after darkness, after Advent, there is light. God has come, and God is with us in Christ, and God will restore us to him when Christ comes again. So continue to hold fast to that promise through our season of waiting. His faithfulness will not end. His faithful promises uh, can help us endure this time of trial and of waiting. That's Act 3. A season of waiting is endured. Finally, and very briefly, we arrive at Act 4. Jesus, the Messiah, comes. I hope it's been helpful to see how Israel's story is Jesus' story. All the strands come together in him. Yet Jesus' story doesn't conclude at verse 17. This is just page one of the New Testament. It's just the beginning of his reign. And you know, we ourselves are a testimony of that as those who've been drawn into the, the kingdom from all nations of the earth, we are the confirmation that God always keeps his promises. And that's such a wonderful privilege. Israel's story is Jesus' story. And it is our story. So we're not just the audience looking on at the play. We ourselves are part of the drama. We're part of it. We're included. Just as God was committed to his covenant promises to Abraham and David and the remnant in exile, so he is eternally committed to you and me in Christ. This month will be difficult for all of us, perhaps especially for those who live on their own. Please be assured that God has not forgotten you. God is so committed to you that he even gives his 
assurance of the assurance of his love and faithfulness in the form of a seemingly unnecessary long-listed genealogy. That's how much he loves you from page one to the end. And so may we continue to hold on and hold out that hope, the hope of this story during this Advent and this Christmas. Amen.